lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show, live and on demand right here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. I'm Steve Dace. Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre are here with me as well. Let us know what you think about what we think if you're here with us too. Uh, Steve at stevedace.com. That's how you can email the show, D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show and look for us as well on MeWe, Parlor and Gab and look for uncensored free clips of the program at rumble.com slash Steve Day Show. We've really been pumping that page the last few weeks and we're approaching 10,000 subscribers over there, so uh, we'd like to see that uh, explode all the more. So rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. Again, rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. Coming up on the show here today on a Thursday, Theology Thursday, we have gotten quite a bit recently into more of the intellectual and philosophical side of things, which is important. But today we're going to kind of be reminded of what's really at stake on a personal level. So we'll get into that with Theology Thursday as well. We'll play our little game of three non-political questions coming up at the very end of the program. At the bottom of the hour, an author that is, of course, no stranger to controversy. Charles Murray will join us, the best-selling author. He wades into the debate about race and America again with us at the bottom of the hour. You do not want to miss that. But until we get to that point, of course, we must begin, as we always do, with Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by About Those Masks. A new study from JAMA at the very least proves the concept that face masks are harmful for children. Researchers analyzed a randomized controlled trial studying the carbon dioxide content in masks and found that, quote, children should not be forced to wear masks. The lowest level of CO2 measured from air inhaled through the masks that were studied was 0.6%. For reference, the OSHA safety limit is 0.5%. The Supreme Court yesterday elected to leave the CDC's moratorium on evictions in place. That's a sentence that should never be written. Justice Kavanaugh joined the liberal wing of the court in casting the deciding vote to deny a hearing in the case of Alabama Association of Realtors versus the Department of Health and Human Services, saying he agrees that the CDC exceeded its authority issuing an eviction moratorium, but being that it's ending at the end of July, he decided not to hear the case. NBC News is just now coming around to the fact that a Chinese bioweapons leader was involved with uh, (coughs) research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. In January, a Trump administration fact sheet accused China of secret military activity at a lab in Wuhan. Former State Department advisor David Asher helped write that fact sheet. I'm very confident that the military was funding a secret program that did involve coronaviruses. I heard this from several foreign researchers who observed uh, researchers in that lab uh, in uh, military lab coats. A leading researcher at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, Dr. Shi Zheng Li, insists it's only a civilian institution. But NBC News has evidence Dr. Shi herself has multiple connections with military officials. She and others collaborated with a military scientist on coronavirus research in spring 2018 and with another military scientist, Zhou Yusen, in December 2019. 
In fall 2020, an article that scientist authored lists him in a footnote as deceased. NBC has been unable to ascertain the circumstances of his death. Back stateside, former President Trump spoke at the border yesterday. If you don't have great elections and if you don't have borders, you don't have a country. Speaking of election integrity, the Supreme Court voted 6-3 to three today in favor of upholding two Arizona voting laws aimed at making it more difficult to commit voter fraud. The court ruled the laws do not target minorities and do not break the Voting Rights Act. Back to Trump, he had an event with Fox News' Sean Hannity. Where are you in the process of, or have, let me ask you this, without giving the answer what the answer is, have you made up your mind? Yes. Checking in on Joe Biden. I'm very happy to have uh, President Rivlin here, and uh, I don't want to, it's not technically appropriate, but I, I'm so delighted his daughter is here. She's in the back right there. I got, to, I got to meet her. Washington Post headline, yes, kink belongs at Pride, and I want my kids to see it. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court has overturned the conviction of former comedian Bill Cosby on charges of aggravated indecent assault stemming from a 2004 incident, which she was found guilty and sentenced for in 2018. The court says Cosby's due process rights were violated by the prosecution. And finally, a PSA. As we approach Independence Day, it's important to remember as we celebrate our nation's founding that we celebrate in a responsible and safe way, especially when it comes to fireworks. Especially you, Terry. Bag up, bag up. Bag up, Terry. Put it reverse, Terry. Put it reverse. Oh, Lord. Lord, Jesus. Oh, Lord. Oh, Jesus. What the, what, what you doing, Terry? Terry, what the, what? And that's what happened while we were away. <laughs> I hope that was pre-screened that no one was hurt and therefore it was okay to laugh, right? Of course. Okay, I just, I just, I just we played wanted, that before. I, I just, I just, I just wanted to make sure. All right. If you would like to celebrate responsibly, check out our friends over at Patriot Wine. Uh, they've got some of the world's best imported uh, red wine that you can import from Argentina, made with Malbec grapes grown at a nine thousand plus foot altitude. Uh, some of the best red wine in the world, and it's also healthy for you. It's been lab tested to find up to ten times the longevity and heart health nutrient known as resveratrol is in these wines compared to where you would get it just about anywhere else. They also don't have a bunch of sugar, so they're healthy. They aren't loaded with sugars, chemicals, additives, about 90% less sugar than the average wine. But don't mistake in that for the fact that they don't have a great taste. We've all tried a bottle of this ourselves, all really enjoyed it. Notes of blackberry, leather, cherry, and smoke. If you want to give it a shot right now, they're giving you 50% off their best imported Malbecs from Argentina, as well as 50% off the shipping so both the shipping and the product both of them you'll get half of you'll get a big discount half off you do not need a promo code you just need to go to the website patriotwine2021.com that's patriotwine2021.com coming up in the overtime today c-span has unveiled a list according to its historians of the top 10 presidents in american history and i have to tell you surprisingly it's not terrible I mean, it, it's not my list, but I'm not, I, I wouldn't even argue Obama's on the list, right? 
I, for the first time. Yeah. yeah, it's the first time he made the list. I understand. I could make a rationale why that is the case. Um, first of all, he's obviously a trailblazer, first black president. But folks, we're gonna live. We're gonna live under the consequences, good or bad, of that presidency, largely for the rest of our lives. Many of the cultural fault lines that that era further exposed in America, we're still talking about now, right? So I, I can't even understand why he might be on your list. Again, he wouldn't be on my list, but there's, like when you'll see my list today in overtime and you'll see a couple of presidents I don't agree with. I just had to, when you look at their overall impacts, difficult to That's, ignore, okay? Well, my question for you was, you didn't do favorites. Yeah, it's, you did, yeah it, didn't, it didn't make it a popularity contest. It. I, I took it people who's, I looked at both a, a combination of things, effectiveness, um, the legacy, uh, what they encountered in their era, for example. All right. So we're going to compare and contrast my list with the C-SPAN list in the overtime today. And if you're a Blaze TV subscriber, good news for you. We will record that right after the show here today uh, and then upload it for you later. And you'll be able to watch it at your convenience on demand at blazetv.com slash dace. That's blazetv.com slash dace. Or that's also where you can go, blazetv.com slash dace, to become a subscriber with a discounted rate today so that you don't miss out on the overtime or any of the other exclusive content we do for you each day right here at Blaze TV. Let's get next now to what is in the montage. Let me say this first and foremost. If, if you want Donald Trump to run again, or if you're like, I don't know that I do, maybe I don't, but if he does, he better damn not lose. Right? If you're in one of those two camps, yesterday was a good day for you. He was... He was engaging. Given his age, where he's pushing 80, he looked great given his age. He's lost a few pounds. He, he, he did, okay? Uh, and he uh, yesterday, just for him politically, and for those of you that either want him to run again or you're like, I'm not sure or I don't want him to, but if he does, he, he better damn well win. If you're in one of those two camps, which I would guess is a lot of people in this audience, right? And somewhere in those two camps... Um, yesterday was a good day for you. I, I thought he appeared strong, witty. I got a text. I don't know if I'm supposed to tell you guys this or not, okay? But I'm going to because they didn't tell me not to. I got a text from my buddy Jason Johnson who uh, was I worked with on the cruise campaign. And he now advises uh, our mutual friend, Congressman Chip Roy. And... And so Trump went to the, actually go went to the border, not a Kamala trip, but the an actual trip to the border yesterday. And there were like 15 members of the Texas delegation there, and and Trump named them all and um, and and talked about what a great job they're doing. And he goes, and Chip Roy's here. Chip, I'll be talking to you after this. I got I freaking <laughs> laughed. They they texted me that I thought was so I laughed out loud when I saw that. Okay. I, I thought if he yesterday, I thought um it's the strongest he has appeared from a presidential standpoint since probably before pre-COVID, I would say. Given the stress of what that was last year, how it was then how they added to their stress by how poorly they frankly managed it. And and then you go back to that very first debate, and he kind of never really recovered from that. I, I thought yesterday was a very strong day for him. And I thought, um, on, I mean, openly now taking shots at McConnell, I'm not going to support Republicans. 
who would tell me that they, they would vote for him for, for majority leader. I don't know. I, I thought it was a strong day. I, I, you guys have any quick comments on that before we move on to the other things I want to address? I was just surprised at the resolute way he answered the, have you made your decision? Yeah. I, I think it's clear that as as long as he feels I am healthy, yeah, I, I am definitely running. And that's... And that's the only variable. Like he wouldn't not have answered that way if he's concerned about some of the things we've talked about on this show, like his mm-hmm. family. Would he say that if if his wife was really in the way? He's running, man. I I tend to agree with you. I, I think to me, I I think there is eighty percent odds, and in the other twenty percent would be health, family considerations. There are financial considerations for the family. Um, they just can't rebuild the empire the way that they used to from a. Uh, a, a global real estate development perspective because just politically things are too toxic. And so does this get in the way of any of those things? But I, I think those are all, by, at the very least, tertiary concerns to, uh, and, and that 20% health is a clear number one. Yes. And then I think it's space bar, space bar, space yes. bar on, on all that other stuff is what I think. Yeah, I, I would just say as well, I, I agree. He looked good. He sounded good. He said a lot of things that uh, a lot of people listening to shows and watching shows like this would agree with and and what, frankly, made him so alluring to so many back in 2016 and in remaining. So I, I, it is Trump, though. <laughs> so um, in two weeks from now, heck, maybe even next week, we could have a completely different opinion on whether or not he's actually interested in running or whether or not he, we actually want him to run. Because this Trump, that, that was the good Trump. Again, we're going back. I think that's the first time we've said good Trump or bad Trump for quite a while. So it's just so mercurial with him as it always has been. So it was good to get a good day. We'll see what next week or tomorrow brings. That, that good day, in my opinion, spilled over to this morning. I've not had a chance to go through with a fine tooth comb, but from what I can see, the voting law in Arizona uh, ruling by the Supreme court. Um, it's one of the rare, when we get wins, like we got the win we found out about live on the air a couple weeks ago with Catholic Charities, right? And it was nine nothing, and we sh- that should have been an indication to us, on second thought, that they got to nine to nothing, that this thing was ruled with the most narrowest of scopes as possible. And then when we got off the air that afternoon and had a chance to look at the ruling, it's even narrower than the Jack Cake Baker case is. All right, this one seems pretty sweeping. Uh, our colleague Daniel Horowitz tweeted out before we went on the air looking at the ruling. His his analysis of the ruling is there is really no rationale now or excuse for every GOP legislature in the country going hard, hard on voting rights. And I, I to me, I think the biggest impediment, other than his mercurial nature that Aaron just talked about, but that's, he's going to bring that to the table. That's who he is. Everybody brings an idiosyncrasy to the table, okay? Because... There's only been one perfect person, and we put him on a tree. So we're all coming to the table with a weakness or two. And often we're coming to the table with fat, with systemically existential level of weaknesses mm-hmm. or nine, okay? The mercurial nature of him and how exhausting that can be for the average American, I think, is his clear weakness politically. Fair? Yes. Okay. But the other one he has that's not in his control at all is... How many of his own people just think this is irrelevant because all election integrity has been lost? That ruling today and the fact that Roberts is clearly, clearly Roberts views himself as the guy that has to keep 
the forces that he views threatening to tear America apart on the extremes of both sides at bay. And that often puts him in line with the other side, okay? This was a case where he clearly believes that if they aren't seen, now that, that, that the 2020 election is done, Trump is gone, if they aren't seen, that with Trump gone, they don't have any excuses of deflecting off. Well, it's, it's, it's what we learned about coronavirus. We, we, we don't want to tell the truth about the origins of the virus because we don't want to make it like we agree with Trump, right? Okay, mm-hmm. With Trump not there, if they had ruled weekly today, that's the kind of thing you're going to get a lot more January 6th, and they're going to be, now they might actually be the stuff that they claim yeah, that of. It might was. actually be an insurrection. Okay? That, yes, all right? This clearly was the Kavanaugh-Roberts wing lining up with the ideologues, and I would still put Amy Coney Barrett in that group. I just think that her initial foray has not been um, up to the advanced billing of a former clerk of Antonin Scalia. It, I mean, I wouldn't put her with Kavanaugh, but but she has been a disappointment mainly because the expectations from her resume were a lot higher. That being said, Kavanaugh and Roberts aligning with the, the, the ideologues on the right here to varying degrees is, is a clear indication that Roberts views this issue as something that, that, that threatens the very fabric and fundamentals of, that bind us together as a people. And a message had to clearly be sent Especially because all the polling, by the way, shows that outside of, of the white woke brigade on Twitter or Democrats that want to make sure they can win every single election, even most of their own voters agree with these kinds of restrictions. Mm-hmm. This was a clear signal from the Supreme Court. One of the few, normally they do this to us. No, you guys aren't allowed. You guys, you guys aren't allowed to practice Barry Goldwater's extremism in the defense of liberty is no vice. You're not allowed to do that. This was a rare moment. It seems to me that the court did this to the other side and said, this is way outside the rules of engagement. You go this far, it threatens e pluribus unum at a molecular level, and we must send a message. You cannot do this. Your analysis is all right. And, and, uh, particularly the chief justice and it worked to our advantage this time but honestly every time you say steve justice roberts views himself i i get angry well it's i do too a, oh i know i'm just, just i'm swallowing bile as yes, i say I know, it but it's yeah. so frustrating because it's it, it's a conceding that he's he's not doing the job he really should be doing and it's all some kind of show we just happen to benefit from it I, yes it, i'm deeply angry by it so Let's go to the study that came out uh, from the Journal of the American Medical Association on masks. Randomized controlled study, unlike all of the studies that they did domestically, that they hurried and threw together on masks last spring and summer to say they all work. None of those were randomized control studies. Remember when Fauci was asked about this, he said, well, it's too dangerous to have people without masks. So we haven't done any. That was a lie. What, what's going down now is everything that we have been telling you on this show from the beginning is all coming out. Ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, masks don't work, uh, may even be harmful. When, does the, when did the virus arrive? What was the origin of the virus? I mean, folks, we have told you for months, the Wuhan Institute of Virology was run by the former head of the Chinese bioweapons program. And NBC thinks they're freaking Edward R. Murrow because they just decided on July 1 to report. Wow, I mean, the scientists there have military ties. Who knew? Folks, 
See, we have just tried to follow science and data from the very beginning. Wherever it led, we did not know where it was going to lead. We just weren't afraid of where it led. We did science, not the science or political science. But here's the thing. All the people that did the science and the political science, they all knew this too. In fact, they probably all knew this before we did. They just kept lying to you anyway. Anyway. And that that brings me to a, a broader point I want to make. Tomorrow we're gonna we're gonna do our annual Independence Day program as opposed to our normal Friday programming. And one of the big points I'm gonna make in my in my next book that'll be out later this fall is why when put in its proper context, there is really no conflict between evangelizing our faith and trying to preserve and sustain and conserve the values and creeds and ideals that this country was founded on. I'm gonna, that's going to be a big point I'm going to try to make in the next book that's out later this year. What's happened here with COVID has made this point in real time. Our friend Jordan Schachtel put a tweet out today and said, hey, don't let them get away with the fact that, hey, because we've hit herd immunity, that's the basis for our arguments to let go of all these mitigation efforts and restrictions. He said, they, they shouldn't have done this to you even before you hit herd immunity. There was never any data, nothing ever that suggested this should have ever been put into conflict with our liberties on an existential level. This was a lie all along. Don't use that as the basis for your argument to get your way of life back because you won't. You will establish a precedent that you will regret yep. later on, right? Pitch high, pitch and he is low, exactly right about yes. that. That's what I said in March, the, March of 2020. Amen. Let's take it a step further. We have known, go back to what I just told you a moment ago. You're learning nothing now about the true efficacy of masks, what, what, what the seedy underbelly of lockdowns was going to be. You know, my wife is getting ready to start full-time at a counseling ministry as a therapist, a trained therapist this summer. They're turning 10 to 12 clients down a week, most of them children. They just don't have the staff in the room for all of the demand for mental health right now, most of them children. We talked about this from the very beginning. What would be the law of unintended consequences of all of this? Everything we talked about from March of last year on is all coming to fruition now. According to J.P. Morgan, despite what you're being told, we're at barely 50% of this population is vaccinated. They studied this in all the 15 leading industrialized nations in the world. By the way, in Germany, it's like 18%. You know, that's the country that we were supposed to follow when it came to progressive solutions of COVID and obedience to the state. Anyway, we're at barely 50% vaccination in America. We actually have one of the highest rates we're at barely 50%. We have one of the highest rates in all of the, the 15 industrialized nations that J.P. Morgan looked at. Did you see Fauci's Two Americas comment? Yeah, I did. What a jerk. Yeah. He's worse than that. Oh, I know. Yeah, I know. A, a war criminal. 
uh, human tribunal. Hang him. Yes. And I'm dead serious. He ought to be tried and hung. Yeah. It's what we do to traitors. I said you ought to be, that you ought to happen. It. Thank yeah. you. That ought to happen. Absolutely. Amen. Yeah. Nuremberg. We did this to people like Fauci at Nuremberg. We should do that to people like him now. Make an example. And why did we do that at Nuremberg? To make an example so that that history would not be repeated. We should do the exact same thing here, in my opinion. Hello, Mediaite and uh, Right Wing Watch, D-E-A-C-E. Thank you. Um, but what's happened here is we've hit a massive herd immunity threshold. And we've hit it a lot earlier than a lot of other of these industrialized countries did that, that also locked down. Why? Because they just continued locking down the entire time. We started reopening states in this country in defiance of this as early as the 1st of May last year. Frankly, even at the chagrin of President Trump at the time, remember. Right? Okay? So, is it possible that we would have reached this herd immunity threshold sooner had we not done almost any of these mitigation efforts? It's certain. Because if you look at the risk profile for those most and overwhelmingly vulnerable to this virus— It is a very stratified, select group of people. Now, because of the overall health problems we have in America, it's a large group of people, unfortunately. One I used to belong to, so I get it. And I have to fight hard to not belong to it, go back and belong to it again. But it's still a very select group of people. You saw what Berenson said. If you were not obese and 40 or under, you had zero chance. Basically, 80% of those who have been hospitalized or died with COVID fit one of these categories. Morbidly obese, vitamin D deficient, um, some kind of autoimmune disease over the age of 75. That, that's, that's over 80% of people hospitalized or dead with COVID are going to fall into one, if not all four or two or three of those criteria. There's your two Americas. So, so we could have isolated these people. In the, to help them, but we and, and, and put the healthy, robust immune systems in play up against this and reached herd, and herd immunity threshold faster. Let me rephrase that for you in a way that honors the weekend we're about to approach. That whole laws of nature and nature's God thing, self-evident truths, Looking down through history that God has made, the creator has made some things so obvious we cannot ignore them. Or if we do, we do so at our own peril. Please remember what I'm about to show. The dots I'm about to connect with you here in the next minute are very important. Pay close attention to this. We made this pandemic worse because we abandoned our traditions of law and medicine. We forsook the laws of nature and nature's God We locked down the healthy, robust immune systems. We violated their unalienable rights. We violated their constitutional liberties. We violated their God-given autonomy. We violated that and made this worse. If we had actually followed our constitutional traditions, if we had actually followed what we know about medicine, we would have hit this herd immunity threshold a lot earlier. We would have isolated the most vulnerable while putting the healthy, robust immune systems up against this because we would have erred on the side of we still have to uphold our constitution here. 
This thing was made worse because we violated the laws of nature and nature's God, the self-evident truths, the things, the creed that this country was founded upon. Had The answers to the future are always found in the past. The greatest innovation in the history of medicine was discovered because of a mold, a mold thousands of years old. The answers to the future are always in the past. But we want to erase our past. We want to ignore our past. We want to undo our past. And it damn near at a level we've never ever seen, at least since World War II, threatened our future. Thankfully, there was enough of us in this country willing to line up and push back based on the past that this country used to be and used to believe in. And that's why it may have a hope at a future now. We made the pandemic worse by ignoring our constitution, our legal traditions, and our medical traditions. We would have hit this herd immunity threshold much earlier had we honored those traditions instead of abandoned them. Happy early Independence Day. talking before the show, Todd, about teachers unions are threatening about uh, uh, going to war against parents across the country over CRT. Yes. And now forced vaccination for yes. students. Yes. Okay. Um, if you're in a place and there are some places, frankly, where the, the you have no hope, the district is gone, the town is gone and you're looking for options. Is there in escape hatch where fighting just doesn't have a reasonable chance at success, right? Even Jesus tells his followers, you know, um, uh, run from the abomination of desolation, kick the dust off your sandals. There is a, there is a point where the, 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 the populace around you is so far gone that it's, it's a worthless endeavor. If that is you and you're looking for alternatives, check out our friends, at Freedom Project Academy. Uh, they have perfected live online learning, uh, and it's built on Judeo-Christian values, classical curriculum. What does that mean? It, it, it's the way that the generations that forged and founded and made this country and passed it on to us. It's how they were originally educated. Mastery of subject matter, not propaganda. Um, it, learning how to think, so critical thinking, not what to think. All right, my own son, Noah, he was in FPA for a couple of years. Um, I know Dr. Duke Pesta, who've helped found the school and helps to run it now. So, I mean, I can give a personal recommendation here. I know both the people that involved in running it, but I've seen how it operates in our own home. That's why I would recommend that at the very least, if, you're, if, you're, if you want to make sure your kid doesn't get dumbed down this fall, at the very least, get a free information packet when you go to freedomforschool.com. That's freedomforschool.com. Dot com. I want to go back. We have to reschedule uh, Charles Murray, which is fine because I want to reiterate and, and expand on the point that I was just making. If we had started this endeavor from the, from the perspective of at least acknowledging, e- even on our show, we have, we have stated that east of Eden, 
in a sinful world, in a fallen creation, you may have moments when survival outpaces any particular nuance of your 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 right to pursue happiness, right? That could happen. Has yeah. it happened previously in yeah. human societies? Yeah. I mean, I mean, when the Black Death took had a forty percent infection fatality rate, people really weren't totally concerned about. Gee, I wonder what the what it, you know what the tax is to walk this path in the woods. I mean, you were just, am I going to get up tomorrow? When am, am I? Is my husband going to be there? When he's got a fever, will he get up tomorrow? Right. You you are faced with these situations at time. Uh, during times in, in, our, in, in the history of our species. That's what it means when all creation groans. But if we would have started by at least acknowledging there was a tension, hey, we really just can't lock down healthy people lawfully. So are we sure we have data that if we're challenged could justify this on any level? Was that question ever even asked? No, it wasn't. But imagine if it was. Um, Forget even just saying we can't constitutionally do that, period, as a blanket statement. I won't even ask for that. How about if we just, hey, we're the ones that have been part of the tip of the spear on this for the last year and a half. And even we are willing to grant that there could come a, a time in history where survival outpaces all these other arguments, right? Yes. If we're willing to grant that tension on one end, could we get that tension acknowledged? Could we get that acknowledged on the other end? I think you know the answer to that. Obviously, the answer is no. But what, about, what would have changed if we did? What would have changed if more people in charge would have said, can we really do that? Because then it becomes, then if we at least ask that question, see what the threshold for evidence totally changes. Because now you've got to justify this to me, right? Yes. What is our governor, Kim Reynolds, she was the first public official that said this that I can recall last year. She said, not only did the data on May 1st not justify keeping people locked down, but constitutionally, I can't do this. I can't just do this indefinitely. And those two things she mentioned, by the way, they're not mutually exclusive. They're actually tied together. It, it, actually, it actually itemizes the very tension I'm talking about. It shows that at some point she asked somebody on her staff or her own attorney general, can I do this lawfully? Yeah. Well, then I got to go to the Department of Health and say, is this such an emergency that... Even something as vitally important as our constitutional liberties right now have to take a back seat because tomorrow the world might look like we had a lot worse problems than what is or isn't constitutional, right? Yeah. That at least shows she was working that calculus. And that's why we gave her the benefit of the doubt. We agreed with most of what she did, but not all of it. Not but we all did of it. give her the benefit of the doubt because of what you're saying. That's right. She was at least working this math out. Yes. I went away, take my family to, to to Disney on vacation after the election. I got back, and all of a sudden, we like are doing like a mask mandate and everything else. And I'm like, dude, I'm out of this for a little while, and everybody has delusions of <laughs> adequacy, <laughs> right? All right, but 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 the reason I didn't march to Terrace Hill right the minute my plane landed and I found out I was suddenly in a COVID stand hellhole again is because she at least put deadlines on this stuff. 
and then would often take them away before we even got to the deadline. Because again, we're at least honoring some form of a... People always accuse me of being inflexible. I'm not, actually. I'm just not willing to assume the position for you. Do not mistake the fact. I'm not willing to let you morally rape me. Legally assault me. Spiritually violate me. To mean that I'm not flexible. An hour ago, you sent me a text. What did it say? Oh, when I needed help with work? Yeah. Yeah. And And at the last minute, hey, you know what? I mistook what time our flight leaves yes. to take uh, Ainsley to her tryout. We've, I, I need to get out of here an hour earlier. Can I do that? What did I say? No problem. No problem. Have you guys known me to be inflexible, actually working for and with me for the last five years? Actually, that's been the greatest surprise of working for you. When we that relationship was extended, it was you were way more flexible than rumor had. True. You know why? How many times have you guys tried to um, uh, rape, violate, or assault me morally, physically, uh, spiritually, uh, intellectually? How many times have you guys tried that? How many times have we talked about soccer? (laughs) There is that. Let's talk about the Euros, Aaron. Good answer. (laughs) Other than that, how many times have you guys tried? None. See, my kids have learned this lesson. Don't violate like one of two or three it's dads. Dangerously. Yes, don't violate one of the old man's cardinal two or three rules. And he'll let you do anything else you want, pretty much. Yeah. He'll buy anything he can afford. He loves spoiling you. But if you violate one of those two or three cardinal rules, man, you will put yourself in your room just because you don't want to hear it anymore, right? I, I, I created that atmosphere on purpose. I'm not inflexible, Republican Party. I'm just not willing to surrender all the time. That's not flexibility, that's defeatability. Two totally different things. So yeah, when I got back from Disney and found out that my governor like temporarily reverted back to Cuomo, minus the nursing home deaths, I, I was about ready to go right up to Terrace Hill my damn self. But you know what? Hey, we put a deadline on it. Again, we're learning this stuff in real time. She had built up enough goodwill. She earned my benefit of the doubt. And by the time we got to Christmas, all those things and everything were all gone again. So it was only a couple of weeks. I'm not inflexible. Don't lie to me. If you lie to me, I will teach you the meaning of inflexibility. Or we'll find out how flexible you are. Don't lie to me. And so the problem is you're inflexible a lot of the time because people are lying to you. That's exactly all right. The time. That's exactly right. It wasn't. It, I wouldn't have even gotten upset if they would have said, "We think you should. We think you should." Listen, if you want to do ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine now, fine. Those drugs weren't really made for a coronavirus. We're working on specialty medications that are specifically tailored for it. And um, and given the way that this particular virus operates and attaches itself to human receptors, if, you've, if that's your stopgap, fine. But we would urge you to wait until things that are more specialized and dedicated to fighting this particular virus emerge. I wouldn't even have gotten upset at that. I would not have even gotten upset at that. It's that they lied about the effectiveness of hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, and they lied about everything else. There's a young lady sent me a tweet today. I want to mention her because she's like a a youthful national committee woman at um, one of the key states in the country. Her name is Alyssa Blatz. I'm sorry. Alyssa Batts is her name. 
All right. She is the national committee woman uh, for uh, for the young GOP in North Carolina. And she tweeted me this this morning. It's the lying that irritates me more than anything. It's always been about power. Yes. Amen, sister. You're right. That's it. It's not the disagreement. I'm not offended at disagreement. The conversation I had with the talk show host that we played on overtime the other day. The reason I went back at him so hard was not because he doesn't believe in Christianity. It wasn't because he thinks my viewpoint religiously is wrong. It wasn't about it at all. It's because he, I, in, in my view, I took it, he was trying to troll me from the very beginning. He was insulting me. And if I'm going to come on your show, I expect better than that. Okay, don't give me the word. I took Ward Churchill's class up there at UC Boulder for five minutes. And now I'm suddenly a damn I'm suddenly a damned expert. No, don't do that with me. I wouldn't do that with you. When we have people of differing viewpoints on this show, do I do that with them? No, we just had one that journalist. That's uh, right. Don't do that with me. If you do that with me. Then it'll be on anything short of that, though. You can have all the opinions you want, but don't pee on me and tell me it's raining. Don't treat me intellectually dishonest. Don't lie to me. If you do, you'll wish my daddy wore a condom that night. No, don't do that. I won't do that to you. Don't do it to me. And they did it to all of us for the last year and a half. And one of the reasons why is because they didn't start from the premise of not what should we do, what can we do? And if they had asked that question from the beginning... That would, have, that would have changed the whole conversation because now we have to balance out how many people's civil liberties we're going to have to impede or impose upon in order to confront this. Now, we're now this is why I say I love my libertarian friends. I like the arguments we have with each other better because we're actually arguing about what government should be doing or can be doing as opposed to the arguments we typically have, which is what, what government, what else are we going to make government have us make us do? A totally different argument. If we start from the premise of, all right, can we do these things constitutionally? The next thing you're going to have to get the answer to is how bad of a situation is it honestly? Right? Yeah. You have to, you have to go there. That, that's, the, that's the obvious next follow-up question. How does the whole conversation change from that time forward, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's not that our freedoms and liberties and unalienable rights and our cherished traditions, they don't stand up to the modern challenges. It's that we have these modern challenges because we have abandoned our traditions and virtues and values and legacy as a people. It's the exact opposite. It's the other way around. To that end, and forgive me if I misunderstood, weren't you going to say something about Dr. Peter McCullough? Yes, I heard an interview with Peter McCullough uh, yesterday, and he said something. This is the decorated cardiologist at Texas A&M and Baylor. We played a snippet of an interview he gave. I mean, this is a guy who's the founder and or editor of numerous leading um, medical journals, one of the leading cardiologists in the country. Remember last year we were sitting here at this time heading into the summer wondering, would SARS-2 just burn out like SARS-1 did? It just burned out. Yeah. Went away. Hit a herd immunity threshold, ran up against the summer heat. We saw this with the with MERS. We saw it with SARS-1. Hit a herd immunity threshold across the globe, ran into the summer heat, and then just burned itself out. We were wondering, would we see that happen with SARS-2? We never did, right? right. In fact, we saw a second wave hit the ne- seasonally when the, when the cold and flu season yes, hit did. again in, in the late fall, right? That's yeah. why our governor reacted the way that yes. she did. Okay. McCullough said in this interview that the reason this happened 
is because this is a designer virus. It's, he said SARS-1 and MERS were natural phenomenons. That's why when they ran into the natural herd immunity threshold, they just burned themselves out without any vaccines for them whatsoever. That's one of the reasons why the funding dried up for the first SARS vaccine and they had to go to the dangerous gain of function research is nobody was really, there weren't legions of people sick in the hospital with SARS-1 anymore. And so do we want to keep funding for a vaccine for something that absolutely no one's going to need once we bring it to market anyway, right? Right. Okay. His point was, those things were entirely natural phenomenons. So when they ran up to ran up against the natural herd immunity threshold before we even had any sort of vaccinations for them, they, and they ran into the heat of respiratory viruses in the summer, they just burned themselves out. He says that did not happen with this virus because it's not an all-natural phenomenon, because it's a designer virus. That's why. That's why it just keeps mutating over and 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 over again. He, this blew my mind when he said it because it's something we, it's so simple that, that, that connects a lot of dots and fills in a lot of blanks and goes in line with a lot of the questions that we were asking at this time last year. Why didn't it burn itself out? The Delta variant looks like it's actually going to be more transmissible than anything we've seen before from a just pure transmission standpoint, but in terms of the numbers of cases or hospitalizations or deaths, JP Morgan also found in 10 of the 15 countries they've been tracking the Delta variant, the amount of cases is actually decreased. In 13 of the 15 15, um, uh, uh, countries, the hospitalizations and death decreased. And this was true regardless of vaccination status. It didn't matter. Only 14% of the people in Russia are vaccinated. They, their ratio didn't differ one way or the other from any of the countries that had higher vaccination. In fact, two of the countries that, that dealt the Delta variant actually were, were the exemption, the exceptions he noted, what JP Morgan noted, were Israel and Russia. And they're on total opposite ends of the vaccination percentage uh, uh, spectrum. spectrum. Yeah. yeah. Russia is the least vaccinated or one of them. And Israel is the most vaccinated. Didn't matter. And McCullough says it's because it's a designer virus. That's why it didn't burn itself out last year. That's why it lingered, hung around, and just keeps mutating over and over and over and over and over again. It's not a natural phenomenon. That's bad. It does answer a lot of questions, though, doesn't it? Yes, it it does. Does it also, though, force some new ones that some people need to answer, like over at NIH and NIAID? Don't return to normal. Yeah. Well... Don't let them return to normal. Yeah. <laughs> Have them return to a cell. We're back with Hour 2, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with... Todd Erzin, Aaron McIntyre, and all of you. Let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox. You can email the show, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Uh, also look for us on MeWe, Parlor and Gab. And you can look for uncensored, unfiltered comments uh, and clips of the program over on rumble.com. Although... That's rumble.com slash Steve Day Show. Although based on its um, it, its its owner, Dan Bongino's most recent pop culture take, I may have to I may have to um, I may have to make an executive decision here. 
Apparently, Dan is claiming Nirvana smells like Teen Spirit is the greatest rock song of all time. No. I, I mean, I just, I'm going to, we all have an off day. All of us do. All of us have a bad day. Okay. I'm, I'm just going to say and hope that's his worst take, like on anything. It's not even their best song. It's the most overrated song of all time, if anything. But that is not the greatest rock song of all time. And they might be one of the most overrated bands, which is not to say they suck. I agree. It's just, I don't... Frankly, I think the band that Dave Grohl founded on his own after Kurt Cobain's death is far better than anything Nirvana ever did. I could argue Foo Fighters is the best band, best American band. Well, U2 is not American. Best pop culture band since U2. I could, looking at their song catalog, I think you can make that argument. I do. I, it's just a... You don't also want to enter Dan Bongino territory now, so. Yeah. <laughs> Aaron, I know you agree with me on this. On the Foo, on my Foo Fighters take? Uh, being that they're, uh, yeah. That they are, yeah. they are potentially the best Guys, band since you two? Uh, yeah, no. And every single, so let's just put this out there. You know, every single band is basically an iteration of what the Beatles did. Let's just admit that. Or Elton John. Or, or I'm Elton. sorry, or I'm sorry, uh, Elvis Presley. Ev- Elvis Presley. Every single yeah. band. But there are a few who break the mold. Uh, U2 is one of them. Mm-hmm. Foo Fighters is one of them. One, because they still make amazing music, but it's not the formula that uh, that the Beatles kind of on. It's not some, it's still original, very original sounding music. Uh, and good music at that. Not all original sounding music is good music, but it's original good music. I mean, ACDC is a great example of what you're talking about, right? Yeah. One of the greatest bands of all time. Ever, nobody would argue against that. And their album sales indicate that. But mm-hmm. uh, Ag- I mean, Agnes Young's essentially been playing the same, you know, four or five chords on every song oh, since like yeah. 1973, yep. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it doesn't really sound that much different as opposed to the evolution that you see with somebody like a, a U2. Anyway, uh, I, we will excuse um, one singular faux pas, even one as incredulously um, um, and dramatically off base as this one is. So for now, we will continue to exclusively promote our account at rumble.com uh, slash Steve Day Show. If you're a podcast listener, we are looking for you uh, to please give us a five-star review. Uh, And then also uh, hit the subscribe button if you haven't done those things already. They help the show to grow on the podcast platforms. Those of you that have done that, and there are many of you, thank you very much to each and every one of you. And if you haven't yet, we would urge you and ask you to please uh, consider joining their ranks. Um, This portion of the show brought to you by the pro-life movie Order of Rights, which includes a cameo or two from yours truly, but don't let that stop you from actually watching the film. In 2019, it was voted uh, most inspirational film at the International Christian Film Festival. It takes an interesting, unique look at Roe v. Wade and the life issue from the perspective of a father trying to save his child from being uh, from being killed, which begs the question, when is a person a person? So if you want to see this film, it's available right now on Amazon Prime, Apple TV, iTunes, Google, Vudu, Vimeo, all those major streaming platforms. You can get it there, rent it or buy it, or you can watch the trailer right now at orderofrightsmovie.com. Again, that is orderofrightsmovie.com or go to Amazon Prime, Apple TV, iTunes, Google, Vudu, Vimeo. Look for The Order of Rights. So let's get to Theology Thursday. And 
I've been saving this note for a couple of weeks, waiting for the right time to, to, to share it. And I think now is a good time because we have spent so much time here on Theology Thursday in recent weeks, like last week, right? We broke the seal. I've already, I figured what the heck, man, I already broke the seal on eschatology. Let's go ahead and break the seal on predestination. The other one I used to tell you, don't ask me. I don't want to, because every time I, no matter what answer I give, everybody goes nuts. I must tell you, either I gave a really good answer or a really bad one last week, because not too many people went nuts one way or the other on my answer, which Hmm. means it was either really good or really bad. Okay. Um, Either people are like, wow, I never thought of it that way before. Like, wow, that's so lame. I can't even, you know, um, I can't even get self-righteous about it. That's just so self-evidently terrible. I'm going to ignore. It's one of the two. But we have talked a lot, right? A, a lot from the philosophical side of this recently, right? And the strictly theological and the, the theological preciseness angle, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's all very, very important. But every now and then, I think we need to be redirected at what is primarily important what the prime directive is. Now, what does prime directive mean? Does that mean only directive? Is that what it means? No. Does it mean the other directives are therefore unimportant? No. No. But there is an overarching priority, right? Right. There there is one that, one priority to prioritize them all, so to speak. Hierarchy of truth. Yes. And I believe that both the scriptures and the history of how God has interacted with this creation indicates that the prime directive, that nothing, nothing is more important to God than people. God himself came in the form of a person. God himself didn't lay down his life for social justice He didn't lay down his life for Calvinism. He didn't lay down his life for Arminianism or dispensationalism. He didn't lay down his life for Catholicism. He didn't lay down his life for Sola Scriptura. Uh, He didn't lay down his life for should the church be in Rome or Constantinople. That's, That's not why God came in the flesh and laid down his life. He laid down his life for people. Now, are all those things I just mentioned and all those values or entities or movements or belief systems, are they important on a certain level? Yeah. Are they worth contending with or for on a certain level? Yes. Yes. But are they the prime directive? I would argue no. That nothing is more important to God than people. Nothing is. To the point he would lay down his own life for shared beliefs. Love knows no greater man than this, that a man would lay down his life for shared beliefs. That a man would lay down his life for social justice. That a man would lay down his life for a fully um, consecrated and orthodox um, systemic theology. No, that's not what Jesus has said himself. No. That a man would lay down his life for his friends. I go to prepare a place for you. You. That's a very, I know we're struggling with our pronouns today. That's a very personal one. It's direct. You. I go now to prepare a place for you. You. Directly. An individual.
nothing's more important to God than people, which is why he's willing to work through imperfect people to reach people. Because if he didn't, how many perfect people are there? Low number. Yeah, so there's only what kind of people that God could possibly work through? That would be the imperfect. There's only the imperfect variety. (laughs) People are like, well, God works through imperfect because he could only work through imperfect people because there aren't any perfect people. So there's only imperfect ones. So he has to work through troublesome, problematic, challenged, imperfect people because those would be the only kind that you would find on this planet currently and ever. And this show. Yes. Amen to that. So today I want to share a note that recalibrates this point. One of the things we've often said on our show is that people aren't constructs. Don't treat them like that. They're not formulas. They're not ratios. They're not algorithms. They're people. People are complicated. I'm complicated. You are. All of you listening and watching right now, you're all complicated. All of us are capable of doing things we don't want anybody to know about and that we would be ashamed of five minutes ago or five minutes from now And then at the same time, while we're in the middle of doing that, if something we placed on a higher priority, like our own kids, were in danger, we would drop that secret sin that we are, that we just can't let go, but that we aren't proud of, but we want, we want to, in our flesh, indulge in, but we would drop that for the, for the thing of a higher priority, maybe even do a heroic act in order to preserve or save that, right? Yes. Was I any better or worse of a person in either one of those moments? Either the moment that I that I did this heroic act or the moment that I engaged in terms of my value to God. Was I any better or worse? No. Did Jesus die for me if I only did these heroic acts? Yes. Did Jesus die for me if I only did these things I'm not afraid, I'm not proud of? Yes. See my point? Yes. Yeah. We're complicated. Human nature is complicated. I think of the Ravi Zacharias case. And a lot of this broke while we were getting ready for or on Christmas break last year. And a lot of the reports and everything else had not yet come out. And so, and then by the time it all did and we came back from Christmas vacation, the story had kind of moved away. And we had a few other things going on in the country in January at that time, if anybody had forgotten, right? Right. But this is an excellent example of what we're talking about right here. I, I don't know on a fundamental level, on a personal level of Ravi Zacharias was, was a complete or total fraud. I don't know. Here's what I do know. He damaged people. Here's what I also know. In his sovereignty, God used him to help a lot of damaged people. I was one of them. And I think sometimes our fixation or focus is on where's Ravi now that he's gone? Was he a fraud? And while we, or was he misunderstood? Was he struggling? Was he a sociopath? Or did he just have a secret sin in his life he just never let go and it engulfed him? These are the conversations that have been had, right? Yes. Okay. But who's being left out of this equation? We're exclusively talking about who? Ravi Zacharias. Mm -hmm. Who are we not talking about? God. Whether, Whether Ravi wasn't a fraud, 
but just swallowed a, a portion of his life was swallowed up by his own unconfronted darkness and it impacted and damaged other people or whether he was a complete and total fraud from the beginning frankly is irrelevant because the God he proclaimed whether he believed it fully or didn't understand or never did did that God still bring a reckoning to the people that Ravi Zacharias victimized did they still get their reckoning did they still get an acknowledgement of what had been done to them right Yes, that occurred. Yes. There was yes. still justice is happening there, yeah. right? Yeah. Did God still use the the, ma- the magnificent platform that Ravi Zacharias had for decades to reach a lot of people at the same time? Right. Also so, as well. so, so God both brought justice for Ravi Zacharias's brokenness and darkness, but then in the light also used him to bring light to others at the same time, right? Indeed. Kind of cool to be God. To be sovereign outside of space and time, that is God a God of justice or God is he a God of mercy or judgment? Yes. He's why we need to understand the term paradox. Right. I, I, the whole time we have been fixated and have watched videos, there's countless videos on YouTube debating the Ravi Zacharias question. What's weird, though, is that we never debate how magnificent God must be that justice for whom Robbie violated is occurring at the same time there are still how many people across the globe that woke up shocked at this news because of the impact that God allowed Robbie to have on right. their lives. I'd be one of them, right? I bring all that up because I want to share this note. I've been a listener for about a year having discovered you shortly after the lockdown started. Admittedly, I wasn't a fan at first. We get that a lot. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, but I kept listening. I don't know. Is it a compliment that people who don't yes. like us just keep listening yes. anyway? Yes. Is that like, because you know, guys know me. I make kind of snap decisions. If I don't like something, I'm out, right? And then I don't go back in unless you come up with something new that changes my yeah. mind. It is, it is odd to me that we get a lot of people who didn't like us at first, but then just keep coming back for more. I, that's weird because I'm the opposite. If I don't like something right away, I'm, I'm hitting the eject button. I may be eject too quickly. Um, admittedly, I wasn't a fan at first, but I kept listening because you were sharing information that nobody else was touching. I also appreciated your unapologetic approach to bringing God into, into discussions. I'm a Christian worship minister and I sometimes struggle with how to talk about political matters with others because I tend to shy away from pushing my beliefs into arguments with those who don't share those worldviews. That said, I'm writing because while I haven't heard much of anything you've said that I don't agree with, I'm having an extremely hard time with your approach to the trans argument. It's obvious to me that you don't have anyone in your life who struggles with this. My husband and I raised our daughters, we have three, with our Christian beliefs, but each one has walked away to some degree or another as they entered their teen years. Our oldest is now 20, so is mine. And she started sharing with us around age 14 that she thought she might be a lesbian. We've talked, yelled, cried, and or prayed over this almost daily since then. She since decided to identify as non-binary and bisexual. She's now pursuing testosterone treatments and top surgery to try to attain her imagined ideal of being androgynous. While my husband and I don't agree with any of this and are scared to death about the decisions she's making and the repercussions they'll have, we've also come to realize that we only have a couple of options at this point. 
love her and accept the decisions are hers now are now these are decisions that are now hers to make or lose her after one particularly intense evening of trying to understand why she feels the need to surgically alter herself and trying to talk her out of it to no avail my husband and i had similarly intense prayer sessions about what god's plan is for us and our daughter while i was praying aloud my husband felt that god told him to trust him but love her I can't tell you how many tears we've shed over this and the fear that grips us even now, but we keep coming back to those words and Jesus' commandment to love others as ourselves. You have teenagers, and, I, and you, know that you, you know that talking to them is like trying to convince a brick wall to be a jellyfish sometimes. Yes. Um, my point, in my, if, if, if ever I have ever believed that the number one thing driving this program was my masterful ability to articulate and be eloquent— Having three teenagers at one time cured me of such an affliction. <laughs> yes. That's a no. I, I became, somehow, I, overnight with all three, I went from, I need to know this man's opinion about everything to, I don't want to know this yeah. man's opinion about anything. I've lived in okay? my house. Yes. Okay. Um, my point in writing is to let you know that it's not as easy as you make it sound. I can't change my daughter's mind through force of will. And if I keep trying, she'll cut me out of her life. I'm depending on God to reach her heart. All I can do is love her through this, not agreeing with her, but loving her all the same. I just thought she should hear the I just thought you should hear the perspective of someone who's on the front lines of this madness and can only fight the spirit of the age through prayer. Keep up the fight, but don't forget the love, brother. That is sincerely Catherine. Catherine, first of all, thank you for this outstanding note. And I was so touched by it, I chose to share it for a theology Thursday. Um All of the points that you make are vital to remember because nothing's more important to God than people, including you, your husband, your daughter, and the struggle she's undergoing right now. If you would have known me at 16 or 26, you would have had no idea, none Zip, zilch, nada. I'd be doing what I'm doing right now in the way that I'm doing it. None. I, I reached out to some of my high school friends recently because it's our 30th anniversary for a class reunion, and I want to know if we were having one. We've had previous reunions, and a lot of times I just couldn't make it. But then, frankly, one of the reasons I didn't go is I'm just such a dramatically person, different person. Like, I, I don't think any of my high school friends would be shocked I'm in broadcasting and in politics. But if you knew the way I approached those things, not even from where I stood on the issues, but just who I was as a person, they'd be shocked I'm doing it like this. And it's kind of the whole thing about, you know, um, can the dog return to its own vomit? Is the prophet believed in his own hometown? Does that make sense? Oh, completely. But now I'm, 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 I'm kind of... I think I've, I've grown more and I'm more comfortable with reconciling those two things, having rate having raising children of my own, you know, that I was, I'm now more open to, to, you know, going back and seeing some of those old friends of mine, but your daughter's story isn't finished yet. Just like mine wasn't finished yet. Arguably the greatest theologian in the history of the church at the very least, the greatest theologian in the post 
Bible time world was Augustine. What was he doing at 1626, Todd? He was not chased. No. In his own words. He, he literally belonged to a sex cult. Literally. And Maria, I believe, was that his mother, right? His mother's name, was it Maria? I thought. Um, th- or Monica. Is it Monica? Monica. Monica. Thank you. Right. you had it close. I knew it was an M word, yes. yes. I mean, his mother, Monica, prayed for him constantly. Constantly. A guy who was in a sex cult became, I would argue, and I think most people would, regardless of where you're at theologically, the most influential theological thinker in a post-Bible time, meaning when the Bible was actually being written in real time, in a post-Bible time era, St. Augustine. Paul, when he was Saul, he held the tunics, the clothing garments, for those who decided to stone Stephen, the first martyr in the history of the church, and to murder him in cold blood. He held their garments for them so they wouldn't get in the way, so they could more efficiently stone him to death and faster and bloodier. I was just, you know, just a common courtesy here, right? That guy ends up writing most of the New Testament. You, you, I, Kathy, you provided some good, or Catherine, I don't think I know you well enough to say Kathy yet. Catherine, you provided some good encouragement to us to reset things as a reminder. And we take your perspective to heart, which is why we're not going to differ with it whatsoever and just receive it. Let me now encourage you. Your daughter's story isn't written yet. There's probably plenty of nights poor Monica thought her son's story was going to end poorly. Is that fair? Oh, yeah. His influence is still felt within the, within the church to this day, over a, over a millennia later. It's possible that other than Jesus himself, has any person had more of a direct impact on the direction of history than St. Paul. He's at least in the conversation. In the last couple thousand years, is he at least in the conversation? Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. He was willing to have people killed where they stood for believing this. The story's not over yet. Moses mur- murdered somebody with his bare hands. He's probably the most influential living figure before Christ in all of human history. Is that fair? Yes. Yeah. The story's not over yet. So let me return the encouragement you gave us to remember that we're not just dealing. Are we dealing with theologies and philosophies and moralities here? Are we dealing with those things? Yes. Are we just, we are, but are we just dealing with those things? No. No. We're dealing with people. Jesus knew your daughter, Catherine, was going to threaten to mutilate herself and maybe even go through with it. And yet he chose to die for her anyway. Her story is not over yet. That would be our return encouragement to you. The temptation you're going to have is how do I do this? See, you've, you've rightly confronted temptation the other way, which is, 
do I, you know, I, I, she clearly knows we don't approve, but do I lose my daughter in the process? Like that, you've, you have clearly confronted that temptation that way, right? That's a good thing to mm-hmm. confront. Don't let the temptation though corrupt you the other way. Well, because I don't want to lose my daughter, now I do agree with these things. One of the Supreme Court justices in Roe v. Wade admitted years later, one of the reasons he voted the way that he did is his daughter was pregnant at university. He didn't want to have to have her uh, keep the kid and, and maybe lose her potential. And you, go, you know, 50 of you are going to email me which judge was it. I can't remember the name. So the temptation works both ways. We got to remember that, okay? Let's not be so stifling with theological preciseness that we drive our children away when it's clear that God hasn't finished their story yet. Fair? Absolutely. Yeah, and and I've gone through this. I'm not, you know, I'm, I, I'm probably give more details about our home away than maybe even I should. But believe me, there's plenty I keep back. I have great relationships with all of my children. But... They're older now. They don't agree with the old man on everything. Believe me. The oldest, who's 20 as well, um, she's a carbon copy of me. Just prettier. So um, it's like arguing with myself. All right? <laughs> I get it. Okay? But we can't let the temptation take us the other way, though, now, too. Well, it's because I want to maintain this relationship that now I'll start agreeing with these things. Jesus still loved your daughter enough to die for her, but did he change his position on the issue to, for her? He is the position. He is the, that's exactly right. Yes. So, I, I, the best thing we can do with our children is to try to, and with others, is to try to model that. I'm not changing my position for you. I'll, I'll give you everything short of that. I can being flexible again right yes it's just if you ask me to deny my maker i can't do that anything short of that i'll be as flexible as i possibly can but but if you ask that one thing of me now you're rendering under yourself that which is not yours and i can't do that so thank you for your note Catherine, and your reminder about where our ultimate priorities lie and our encouragement to you would be, your daughter's story isn't over yet. So keep the faith. You guys have any thoughts? Uh, well, that, first of all, I, I wasn't, you didn't tell us, and I wasn't entirely sure where you would go. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was, um, it was beautiful. The good, the true, and the beautiful. Uh, listen, uh, never stop pursuing your daughter. She is a lost sheep right now. And that clearly causes great pain. But the story about those lost sheep uh, are uh, there for us uh, to know from the very beginning. They are made plain. Uh, Pursue them, but you're pursuing them to save them. That's the tension Steve is talking about. You're, You're not pursuing them to accept them. You're pursuing them to save them. Uh, and I don't uh, right now that paradox, that tension is clearly something that you want to put on a shelf. 
I get it. If this was your form, your outlet, you needed to process that. God bless you, sister. We're happy to be here for you. But now you must move past that tension into the reality of this thing. She, your daughter needs you now more than ever, and it doesn't require excuses. It requires the deepest form of love you've ever given her. Yeah, it, it's it's nothing. Again, going back, the, the answers to the future are in the past, and and you can't change the past. This is not about parenting or anything like that at this point. It's about letting her go while still praying and like Todd said a love deeper than you've ever had before and um, uh, we're with you and, and we'll be praying as well. Back here on the Steve Day Show, and we have been warning you now about home title theft for quite a while, and this is where cyber thieves can remove you from your home's title because they take personal information they've acquired, like, you know, when Facebook has a data data breach that impacts 500 million people, like they just did, that just happened. So now they might know a maiden name, a middle initial, or a full middle name, you know, something that you use where you would verify a password, or log in as yourself. And so if you've got identity theft and they try to you know, steal your identity, that gets activated. A lot of credit card companies, PayPal, things of that nature, have these automatic kickers now too. So how do they get around that? Well, instead they go after your home. They take that personal information, log in to where your home's title is kept as yourself, make it look like you sold your home to them with a quick claim deed. And before you know it, they've taken all the equity in your home away from you. Don't let that happen to you. And that's why when you have a high risk breach, like we do right now with Facebook, take advantage of 30 free days of protection with our friends over at Home Title Lock. Go to HomeTitleLock.com and use the promo code radio. That's HomeTitleLock.com. Promo code radio. Find out if you're already a victim and don't know it. Get 30 free days of protection at hometitlelock.com. Promo code radio. It's time for three non-political questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. Yes, I don't know about you folks. If you've been listening this year, it's not the first 90 minutes of today's program. Probably one of the best episodes of the year so far. Wow, thank you. And then there's three non-political questions. And there's only just so, you and I, because Todd had to eject to yeah. apparently have another uh, kid to make an Olympic team or something. So uh, he had to go catch a flight yeah, or something. A lame excuse. I know. Lame. I know. Total. Remind uh, me to fire him when he gets back. Yeah, exactly. Question number one, and feel free to feel free to uh, expound as much as you as much as you please. If everyone you came into contact with including your family, either feared or loved you, can be no in between, either feared or loved you, would you rather be feared or loved? In my family? I- including your family. Um, 
In my family, I'd much rather be loved. In what I do for a living, I'd much rather be feared. <laughs> it's the crux. Okay. All right. So, um, outside of what I do, I think I'd rather be loved. But, you know, it's the old Richard Nixon line, if you need a friend in politics, get a dog. Okay? The, the problem nice people have in this arena is they end up, well, I, you know what? Let me use a, a, an anecdote from a good friend of mine. I've used, I think I've said this story on the mm-hmm. show before. So uh, a buddy of mine used to work uh, like on Capitol Hill for a congressman. And a bunch of the staffers uh, got together once a few years ago and decided to uh, take a self-defense course training. And they had a Navy SEAL come in. They was going to teach him how to use firearms and everything else. And this guy was not inexpensive, by the way. So first day, they're all there. And this Navy SEAL holds up his gun. And he says, all right, I need to know right now before we get started, how many of you, if yourself or someone you care about is in danger, is willing to kill somebody with this weapon right now? And anybody who didn't raise their hands, he refunded their money on the spot and said politely, uh, you need to leave. This isn't for you. And the reason why is because he said, if I train you how to use this weapon and you're not capable or better yet willing to use it, you're more dangerous because you'll have one of these on you. Maybe a home invader or a perpetrator doesn't. Maybe he's just got a, a, a some other weapon or a knife or something else. But then he'll take your gun and use it against you and or your loved ones. I'm better off not training you mm-hmm. if you don't have what it takes to use it. Doesn't mean you're, he said, he said, hey, doesn't mean you're a terrible person. It just means this isn't for you. Get an ax on taser. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and... That's what happens to nice people in politics. Kind people, people that you want your your sons and daughters to marry, people that um, you want to have in charge of your nonprofits and your mission trips and your mission fields and your ministries. That there's such a concentration of darkness here. That if if you're not willing to do what it takes to confront it, I get it. I get it. At my age, why am I? Why was I playing MLB The Show till 1230 last night? Get away. I got to wind down, man. I can't just, I don't want to, you know, I'm not a soldier. But the scene in The Hurt Locker that I've always resonated the most with is when Jeremy Renner finally agrees to come home and he comes home to the gal who played Kate in Lost, just that, the beautiful mm-hmm. gal. That's his wife. He's got a brand new baby, right? And... And they're going in the grocery store shop and he just feels out of place. Like he's, 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 he's been at war for so long, he can't dial it back and just rejoin the gen pop. It's awkward to him. I'm, I, I have to like, pardon the expression, and I don't know if you've faced this yet. I don't know. I have to like transition. You know, like when you go into like a chamber, when you come out of a spacewalk, and, and they like scrub you down and everything to make sure you didn't bring anything in mm-hmm. with you before you go back onto the ship. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I have to like do that so that I can 
re-embrace just being a guy named Steve again. Yep. And and that's why I I'm you know when I can't shut my brain down, I'll spend two hours researching when everybody's in bed, hey, I mean, what would the college football playoff have looked like for 20 years if we had a 12-team playoff? Because I I need to recalibrate it, man. I need to redirect it. Yep. Um, and so I, it doesn't mean you're a terrible person. In fact, you're probably a much better person than me, frankly. It does mean you're really not going to be any good at this. Because you'll either end up getting, you'll be Mike pence pious, well-intentioned, personally serious about your faith walk. But the minute that you're really directly challenged, you'll crumble every single time. You don't have what it takes. You just don't. And it's okay. I don't have what it takes to be a Marine. So guess what? I never tried to join the Marines. The Marines. I recognized early on. I don't think I have what it takes. So don't try that. The other thing that'll happen is you'll, um, you'll become a sellout. And the reason you'll become a sellout is because you need so much affirmation from other people. And trust me, in politics, there's lots of ways to get affirmation, and almost all of them are bad. I'm not unaware of the talent level God has given me. And I have no problem talking about it because... It wasn't, it wasn't like I like saved up my money and bought the talent. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It was just, it was given to me. It, I, I have no problem bragging on the gift giver. I didn't do any of this. You and I were joking before, during the break, when colleges have sent like their kids to come and learn how to do this for me. They asked me, how do you do this? I'm like, I don't know how to tell you to do it. I just know I can do it. I don't know. You know, this is what I was born to do. I was made for this. I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. With with the with the talent level God has given me, oh, I could have been, I could have had a number one best selling book a long time ago, folks. If it would have been, Mitt Romney will save America. Oh, would that have hit number one? Probably. Oh yeah, it would have. You bet. They'd have made sure it did. John McCain will be the best president ever. That might have hit number one. No, I, I just refuse to do those things. That's why it's taken us this long to get to the place that we're currently getting to. And so if if you go into this nice, you'll either A, you're going to get rolled, like not even Rick rolled, like steamrolled, man. Like get a spatula to scrape you off the sidewalk. You're like that piece of cheese in the the children's books. Which books are those? Roderick Rules. Which ones am I thinking of? Um, with, with the junior high, uh, with the, where they won't eat the cheese off the off the playground ground because if you do that, you have like cooties for the rest of the school year because it's been stuck to the ground for so long. That is what politics will do to you. It's what it does to people like Mike Pence, or you're going to become a whore because you need the affirmation of others so badly you can't handle being on your own. You can't handle being isolated. You can't handle being a contrarian. You can't handle the ratio. You can't handle the blowback. You can't handle the heat. And so you'll end up doing what it takes to get the affection and and recognition that you desire, that you crave. And that will require some form of an indecent exposure or proposal of your soul. That answer your question? So in this arena, I want to be feared. Everywhere else, I'd much rather be liked. So, yeah, this question is kind of impossible to answer because of that, because you have to compartmentalize, but... Not to get off on a, on a technicality here, and I'm not, it's not my intention to, to pull your pants down. I don't think this is pulling your pants down. But the question is, would you? Ra- I would rather be. I would rather be loved 
but we're not given that choice. I would rather be universally loved because it's a lot, it's a lot, it would be a lot easier if just everybody loved you. It's everybody love, everybody loves Aaron, everybody loves Steve, but we're not really given that choice in the arenas in which we are. Hopefully, hopefully at home, it's always love. Um, but it's sometimes, you know what, um, when, when the boy here in a few years or less than a few years, it, it takes, I, I've noticed with my nieces and nephews as well, love them, love them, love them to death. I've noticed though, it takes them less than a year for that human nature to start, <laughs> to start showing up. So, um, it's a healthy fear, uh, of, uh, dad. When no child's ever had to be taught. No, we're mine, Aaron, exactly. ever. You're going to learn that about yours when, when he arrives of, this summer. Of mom and dad. That's <clears throat> probably a good thing. Number two, question number two, if you were offered a cameo in an upcoming or a remake of any film from the past, what role would you most like to play? Mm, I would. That's a really good question. You know what, man? I'm going to go with. Could I be like a cameo as like, you know, um, a Jedi Knight? With, with wielding a lightsaber, of course. Mm-hmm. Or could I be a cameo role as Lombard, who is the kind of douchebag sports writer at the Daily Planet? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, but it would get me on the set of a of a Superman movie. Yeah. All right. So I, I think I'd go with one of those two things. That's a that's a good idea. I, I think for me. Uh, there are some speaking and, and smaller roles in the Harry Potter films. I would go with maybe Cedric Diggory or something like that. I don't really know if you, you call that a cameo necessarily. Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Uh, there you go. <laughs> Thank you, Spencer. Sorry, I'm sorry. Diary of yes, a Wimpy Kid. That was the movie I was re- referencing ah, earlier. Gotcha, yes, gotcha. yes. So something something Harry Potter-wise, especially when I'm flinging a wand around. Uh, dude, final, have you seen the guy who played Neville Longbottom? Uh, dude, his is like I ain't gay, different. I ain't headed that way, man. But that he guy's is, got some like Kirk Herb Street level dreamy eyes, he, brother. He's a little different now, isn't he? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. He he is certainly not um, wondering. Uh, my understanding, he's married now. But my guess, if he wasn't, he would not have too many free Friday nights. No, yeah. no, no. That's that's for sure. Uh, final question. Probably should have asked this sooner. Wish Todd was here. What best explains the perceived high variance in scoring in Major League Baseball recently, recently meaning the last two or three years? Um, Secondarily, though, if you disagree with the premise, uh, please state why. But I don't know about you. I'm just checking the scores every night because reasons. Um, And it just seems like there's either fewer than five runs scored every night or fewer than four runs scored or like 20, 25 runs scored every night. I don't remember that when I was younger in baseball. To me, something has changed. Do you agree? If so, uh, what explains it? All right, I'll answer that after I talk about real estate agents I trust. If you are getting into the market during these unprecedented times, Ding. there it is. And so, and with gusto too. I mean, you really brought, that had some real flourish behind it. Thank Ding. you. Thank you. Yes. Uh, make sure you go in with an agent that you know you can trust with a fully verified, validated record of success who will come in, take charge of your situation while knowing that ultimately though, you're the one that's in charge. Where would you find this like ideal specimen of a real estate agent? Well, the name kind of says it all. Head over to realestateagentsitrust.com. Again, the website is real realestateagentsitrust.com and that's where you might even run into somebody who's a who's a fellow blaze viewer or listener because that's how this thing got started 
just people tired of being uh, disappointed by agents and realized, hey, we've got some good ones in our audience around the country. Let's connect them with listeners and viewers in their era and their area. And that just kind of mushroomed from there and became a, a national network now. Realestateagentsitrust.com is the website. Again, that's realestateagentsitrust.com. So here's a potential answer I have to your question. And you tell me if you think it has merit. Okay. It's, it's you, you basically grew up in the Royd era. In okay. the, in the, th- in the 2000s. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's when you grew up. Yeah. When I was a kid, you know, I'd watch the Tigers on WDIV in Detroit with George Kell and Al Kaline like every weekend. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I mean, they might win 10 to one Saturday and it's two to one Sunday the next day, almost yep. the exact same lineup. Yep. Some of it is who's the pitcher, right? You're only as good as Correct. you're only in baseball. Momentum is only as good as tomorrow's starting pitcher. Right. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if there's more variance now because there's more of a human element now because there's less of an artificial element now yep. that that human nature is a variant. Human nature is a mm-hmm. variable. Human nature is uh, unpredictable, inconsistent. Um, we, you know, we don't have consistent 50, 60 home run uh, a year hitters, which we had like a dozen or so when you were growing up. I think that could be maybe what the issue is. No, that makes sense. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty good explanation because in other sports you see, uh, I mean, I don't know if you follow this th- during the NFL season, the scoragami um, thing that I think a couple of guys at SB Nation uh, started years and years ago, but basically tracking the unique scores of uh, different NFL football games, their final scores. And every year, now there's, you know, most games end within a kind of a range, but it just goes to show how much variance there can be. Each year there's a new score, and that just that, that kind of underscores the variance. Most In most sports, it's a lot more random than baseball I remember baseball being because a typical baseball game when I was growing up I mean it was rare that you get that a a single team got to the 10 run mark that's like every night now so I think that probably makes pretty good sense also I think my answer is difference in philosophy as well if you're swinging for the fences every time swinging for that you know you're going to hit a bunch some nights that's a great that's a great point there too we're not manufacturing a lot of runs uh, the way we used to double hitters aren't a thing anymore that's a great point too all right we're gonna stick around do the overtime on greatest american presidents ever for the rest of you see you tomorrow john 317 This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.